Good morning, good morning. Um, I'm going to make an assumption about all of you in this room this morning. And you can confirm or deny here in a moment if my assumption is wild. All right? Here's my assumption. I want to be happy, healthy, not suffer from depression, grow personally, and have a flourishing life. What do y'all feel about that? Okay. Yeah. We affirm this. Of course we affirm this. I want this. You want this. We all want this in our lives. A life that is happy, a life that is healthy, where we're not suffering from depression, where we're growing personally, and we're flourishing in all that we do. So today I want to begin by talking about some paradoxes. George Orwell famously wrote in Animal Farm, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. What a great turn of phrase. At the end of the book, the pigs have taken over the farm, and the utopia that they had promised only panned out for them and for nobody else. This is a great example of a paradox where two seemingly contradictory ideas actually create a reasonable or true statement if you think through what the meaning actually is. Let me give you some examples of other great paradoxes. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. This is the beginning of the end. Deep down, you're really shallow. I only tell lies. What a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. Here's another quote. I can resist anything but temptation. Here are the rules. Ignore all the rules. The second statement is false. The first statement is true. Some of y'all are thinking through that one for a minute. If you get this message, call me. And if you don't get it, don't call. I've done that multiple times, I, can, I must confess. And finally, nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too crowded. On their face, each statement is absurd. The meaning can't make sense literarily, but with some thoughtfulness and some imagination, the statement actually can ring true or at least be reasonable. So in literature, paradoxes pack a powerful punch of meaning and depth that you couldn't convey even with three paragraphs, much less one single statement in one sentence. Let me give you another paradox. Those who give receive back in turn. Generosity is a paradox. Well, how can that be? If I give, I'm losing something, right? I mean, the math just makes sense. If I have five things and I give away one of those things, how many things do I have left? It's not a test, y'all. You have four. <laughs> that wasn't a trick question. That's just math. If I give away one thing, let's go through this. Five minus one equals four. If I give away one thing, then I end up with four things. So how can that statement be true where when I give, I receive back in turn? Well, I think we've all experienced moments where when we gave, we received a blessing in return. Maybe not materially, but emotionally or relationally, we were blessed having given. Paul echoes the same idea in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which I think should be our memory verse this week. At the very end of the, the passage there, he says, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Would it surprise you to know that people who practice generosity are more blessed than those who aren't. Maybe that doesn't surprise you. 
Maybe you've read your Bible and you've believed the words of Jesus. Things like this from Matthew chapter 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What a great paradox. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Or maybe you've read Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus says this, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus understood something profound about humanity, about people. And he's wanting us also to understand something profound about people. Living generously improves your whole life. I want you guys to read this statement with me this morning because I want to call out the truth of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. So let's read this together. Living generously improves your whole life. We're going to read it one more time. Change the your to my. You guys ready? Living generously improves my whole life. This is the reality that Jesus talks about over and over and over again. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. And letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. That's a quote from a book that I highly recommend called The Generosity Paradox. What we might see in generosity or in giving that someone else might win what we might see is a zero-sum game where there's winners and losers. So that when I give so another can win, I actually lose. But this is not the way that it really works. Instead, living generously is more of a win-win game where when I give so another can win, I gain things back more valuable than what I gave in the first place. Things like happiness, health, a sense of purpose in life, and personal growth, because living generously improves your and my whole life. See, having Jesus' worldview means that I see the world as an abundant place of potential and blessing. Therefore, what I own can be given and can be shared. This is how Jesus sees the world's scarcity problem, not as a lack of resources, but as a mindset problem where God can't be trusted. If my neighbor who doesn't have enough for whatever reason is in need, if I truly loved God and truly loved neighbor, then I would be able to share in order for them to no longer live in scarcity. And this is the point that Jesus is making, that scarcity is not exclusively the result of exterior forces that act on a person, but the result of people not living like they love their neighbor. Many of our scarcity issues could be solved if someone gave. Many of our neighbor's issues could be solved if we didn't hoard our stuff and instead shared with them. There's a mindset problem where if I view the world as a scarce place, I have no ability to share in turn. This is why Paul encourages uh, the believers in Ephesus 
in the letter of 1 Timothy. Paul is speaking to this young pastor and telling him, this is what you need to encourage your people to be doing. We read these verses last week, and they're powerful. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 6. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. True life isn't found in the abundance of things. True life is instead found in reflecting and imitating a generous God. God's consistent generosity is clearly pictured through the creation in you and I, and most poignantly and most powerfully in the self-sacrificial love of himself through the person of Jesus. That generosity is to be displayed within each one of us. Here's the problem, though. Most of us don't see life the way Jesus does. Most of us act as though what Jesus talks about is silly and irresponsible. He sort of sounds like a hippie when he talks about looking at flowers and birds, doesn't he? And then when we look at the pictures of how he's been portrayed, at least in America, it reaffirms those ideas. He's like a California surfer guy with this long, you know, flowing hair or whatever. We think Jesus is a hippie, and when he says, look at the birds of the air, they don't have storehouses or barns. Yet God feeds them and takes care of them. How more valuable are you than they? Look at the flowers of the field. They don't spin to make clothes for themselves, yet they are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. Solomon was an ancient Israelite king who had money like you could not believe. And even the flowers, which are here today and gone tomorrow, are clothed more beautifully than him. And is your life not more than food and clothes? It absolutely is. But when we hear those kind of things, I think our initial reaction is to go, well, what about, well, but you, but have you thought about, we want to think about the exceptions. And I think Jesus would say to us, well, did you hear what I said, though? Did you catch the point I was trying to make? I, yeah, I, I know that there are wildflowers that get burned up in a, in a fire. Or, and I know that there are, you see dead crows probably flying, or dead birds, not flying, dead birds on the road when you're driving. <laughs> Hopefully you don't see that, goodness. You see dead birds on the road when you're driving to work. We have these kind of exceptions to the rule that Jesus is trying to make, but are you hearing the point he is trying to make? He's not irresponsible. He sees the world better than we do. And he wants us to understand that life is abundant, or at least it can be. And that when we live into this life of generosity, we have exactly what Pastor talked about a moment ago, life overflowing. Life that is truly life. If my life is characterized by the practice of generosity, then I reflect the creator's own creativity. His ability to cultivate and to make things wonderful and the ability to celebrate and, and glory in what he's all about. If I can love God and love my neighbor well, then I will be a creator, a cultivator, and a celebrator in life. And in so doing, I will bear his image. The key is, this isn't a win-lose situation where when I give so another can win, I lose. No, instead it's a win-win situation. What I may lose in giving, I gain in living. So when I give, I live. 
That's the point. That's what Scripture is trying to tell us this morning. When I give, I live. In giving, I gain living. So let's go back to the assumption I made about all of us this morning, which you guys all affirmed. I want to be happy, healthy, not suffer from depression, grow personally, and have a flourishing life. Paradoxically, to possess that life, I have to give. To own those things, happiness, health, less depression or not suffering from it at all, to grow personally and to have a flourishing life, to own that, I have to give away. Now, we've been told incessantly lately to follow the science. Some of y'all who pay attention to your news channels are probably rolling your eyes right now. I don't want to make a political statement this morning. Instead, I do actually want you to follow the science with me. I, I read a book called The Generosity Paradox. It's a national study that was done to ascertain whether there's a link between a flourishing life, a life with overall well-being, and generosity. And in this study, they looked at some major things, some of the things that we just talked about in our assumption. If people are generous, are they going to be more happy? If people are generous, are they going to be more healthy? If people live generously, are they going to suffer from less depression? If people live generously, will they grow personally? And will they have a flourishing life with connected friend groups and a sense of agency and a sense of blessing in their life? So what they did is they, they looked at each one of those big categories, happiness, health, not suffering from depression, growing personally, having a flourishing life. They took all of those and they broke down into four categories to test into each one of those slots. Here are the four categories. Voluntary financial giving, volunteering, relational generosity, and neighborly generosity. These are some ways, probably the dominant ways, that someone can be a generous person. And they plug these four small things into one of those big things. If I do these four things, will I be happy? If I do these four things, will I suffer from less depression? If I do these four things, will I grow personally? So I don't have time to, to read to you 150 pages of research and to show you 35 charts. So I'm just going to focus on happiness this morning, and you can take my word for it, or you can go order the book if you'd like to read it. It's fantastic. You can find it on Amazon. Let's look at some of these four categories as it relates to happiness, and I want to show you some charts. So let's look at voluntary financial giving. For Americans giving at least 10% of their finances away to religious or non-religious organizations, the statistics reveal they are more likely to be very happy than very unhappy or somewhat unhappy. So for people who give 10% or more of their income away, they are very happy. Or at least they're more likely to be very happy. Now you might be looking at this graph and going, it's not impressive. This doesn't seem like a big deal. How, how does this translate into what you're asserting this morning? Well, I want you to begin to see a pattern as we look at multiple areas of generosity. Let's go on to the next chart. We're going to look at volunteering. Americans also believe that one can act generously with their time and skills through volunteering. Those Amer uh, Americans who volunteered are more likely to be very happy than those who did not. Again, we have a pretty similar graph where those who volunteer report that they're happier than those who don't volunteer. They seem to be disproportionately more unhappy than those who do not volunteer. To prove their point further, I want to look at the third chart that goes along with this. 
The research included the amount of time a person who volunteered per month. This graph shows that Americans who are very happy volunteer an average of 5.8 hours a month. Things are going to start looking a little more significant the more we go here. Those who volunteer 5.8 hours a month are the happiest people as opposed to the people who are very unhappy who volunteer, I think it's like 0.6, 0.6 hours a month. Okay, let's move on to the next one, relational generosity. Let me define this term for you. There are more ways to be generous than just time and money. Some people, after all, do not have a lot of either of those things, time or money. So this category accounts for people being generous with their attention and their emotions in relationships with people. Okay, now is it starting to impress you a little bit? Look how unhappy people are who don't give their attention and emotional bandwidth to others. The chart is starting to really grow in the unhappy category. And, interestingly, the very happy people are holding steady at around 38, 39, 40% every single time. It's starting to get a little bit disproportionate now as we're looking at this. Okay, let's move on to the next one, neighborly generosity. This category accounts for people being generous in relationships but isn't focused on the emotional aspects. This category focuses on hospitality, friendliness, assistance with chores, and neighborly expressions of care. So again, the more a person is neighborly, the happier they are. Now it's starting to get really significant. Those who are never neighborly are the most unhappy people. And those at about 54% who are weakly, neighborly, generous people are the happiest people and the least likely to be unhappy. Now again, I don't have time to lay out for you another 150 pages of study that prove this point over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. I wish, you'd, I wish you'd read the book. I wish you'd take some, some moments to kind of trudge through that. that I mean, it's sociologists, so it's, it's a really highfalutin language, and they talk in big terms. But ultimately, the point is that those who live generously, there is absolutely a data link between living generously and being a happier, healthier person who, who suffers from less depression, finds flourishing in life. The link is there. What Jesus has been saying and other sages throughout the ages, what Jesus has been saying, that if you are to give, you'll be blessed, is now being backed up with statistics. So this study takes pains, though, in stressing an important point, that one-time acts of generosity, like organ donation or um, giving of blood or giving through estate planning, those are not transformative for your life. While important, they're passive. They're passive activities that do not exert meaningful changes in a person. However, the practice of generosity does. The practice of those four categories, voluntary financial giving, volunteering, relational generosity, and neighborly generosity, when practiced, have a transformative force, a power on a person to change their outlook of the world, their healthiness in their body physically. They won't suffer from as much depression, and they will be people who find blessing, agency, and abundance in life. 
So by definition, a practice is an activity or behavior that is repeated. It continues over time. A practice, by definition, is also a meaningful activity that holds some significance or import for the person engaging in it. Therefore, practices require some sort of degree of attention and intention. To be a practice, a person has to sufficiently intend to do it or desire to make the repeated activity a part of their lives. Generosity as a practice becomes transformative because the generous acts are important to you and because they're important, you repeat those actions over and over again, thus increasing the amount that you view them as important and so you'll continue to do them and you find them more important so you'll continue to do them and this establishes a rhythm that then becomes a core value in your life. That's how the practice of generosity is transformative. It's how the practice of prayer becomes transformative. It's how the practice of reading your Bible becomes transformative. It's how the practice of memorizing scripture becomes transformative. It's how the practice of meeting with your community and being vulnerable and real with them becomes transformative. We know this by nature. If you practice something, you get good at it. And the better you get at it, the more you like to do it. I'm really good at ping pong. Somebody challenge me. I wish you would. (laughs) I'm not telling you to. I practiced at seminary I wasn't at seminary. I used to live by the seminary. My parents went to seminary. I was a seventh grader, and I would play these Korean guys who came over from South Korea to, to like come to uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. They were amazing at ping pong. I mean, just, I mean, they'd be, you know what I'm saying, eight feet from the table just doing this kind of stuff. Like everything you've seen in those videos on ESPN or whatever, that was them. And I would play them and just get crushed every single time. I was horrible. But the more I practiced, the better I got. And because I practiced so much, in fact, when Ezekiel, Pastor Ezekiel, one of our Indian pastors who is good at ping pong, came, we set up a ping pong table out here in the foyer one Wednesday afternoon, and I had to humble him before the Lord. (laughs) When you practice something, you get good at it, and you like to do it because you're good at it. Right? If you practice generosity it will become important to you and you'll want to repeat those actions over and over again and that repetition then becomes a core value in your life where when you just do, when you just live life, generosity becomes second nature. So again, I don't have time to read you this whole book. I wish you'd go buy it. But there is a link between generosity being practiced in each of these categories. Not only will you be a more physically, sorry, psychologically healthy person as far as health and not suffering from depression, you'll also be a more physically healthy person. And there's reasons for that. I can't get into it today. Go read the book. But you will have better friend networks. You will suffer from less depression. You will find purpose and meaning in life. You will have more energy and you'll be attuned to more of an ongoing personal growth that you want to experience in life. Things won't be dreams, you'll just do them. Doesn't that sound like life that's truly life? So how do we possess that life? Be generous. A lot of the Bible's not complicated. It's pretty easy to understand. It's just really costly. It's not hard to get that I should be generous. It's hard to actually do it. So how do we possess a life that's truly life? 
Well, it doesn't happen in a moment. It happens as a result of a process. Becoming more generous is not just going to happen because I decide so today. I was driving um, home uh, just a couple days ago, and I was, I was trying to envision in my mind how I could live more generously, and I was thinking over and over again, well, but I don't have, well, but if I had, but if I, I just kept doing that back and forth thing where I was talking to God, kind of talking to myself at the same time, and, and kind of back and forth with myself, you know, having a conversation, the pros and cons kind of deal. And there was just this tension that existed within me about the idea of my world being abundant. I don't know if you've experienced that tension if you've imagined the world to be an abundant place despite where you live and how you live. I was imagining that and the tension began to well up in me and I think this is exactly the practice that we're supposed to do in order to adopt Jesus' worldview. We have to experience that tension where there's parts of me that clearly don't line up with Jesus' worldview and I have to preach the truth of the gospel to myself. I have to preach the truth of an abundance in the world to myself over and over and over and over again. But here's the good news. It does not mean that people must first somehow fully internalize and totally, authentically personalize generosity before they can practice being generous at all. One of the best ways of starting to become a truly generous person, if one really wants to be, is simply to first start behaving like a generous person. What's those old cliches, dress for the job you want? First start behaving like a generous person. Right attitudes can follow right actions. New beliefs and insights are frequently provoked by new behaviors and the instigation of habits. Like many things in life, we usually learn best by doing, not thinking, but by actually doing it. We perfect activities and attitudes by practicing them. People certainly can learn generosity and can come to personally believe in and practice real generosity by first setting in motion new behaviors that are generous. You have some examples in this room. If you don't know what it looks like to be generous, look no further than Alan and Tammy Smith who give their time and their encouragement like nobody I've ever met. We need people to be like J.D. and Janet Rudder and Michael and Tanya Gibbs who give their financial resources to those in need. We need people to be like Mary Long who recently passed. She gave her time and her love to the kids of this church and to everybody else, but specifically to the kids by never missing a birthday card. I mean, just what a small gesture, but a big one. My kids always felt loved, and they always had a pack of stickers on their birthday, and the day was never missed. That takes attention and intention to live that way. We have examples of people being generous around us, and I'm not talking about giant expressions like extreme home makeover. Move that. You know what I'm saying? We don't, you don't have to be Ty Pennington in order to be a generous person. Right? I'm talking about real people in real life giving of themselves in small but important ways as they start behaving like generous people. So, I need one of you to start writing birthday cards to every kid in this church. Because you need to follow the example of Mary Long. I need many of you 
to call people out of the blue and say, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you today. What else do you need in your life? We need people in this room to look for needs specifically and try to meet them financially because God has blessed me so much. That is exactly what it looks like to first start behaving like a generous person. Next, you have to identify some behaviors or attitudes because while I'm talking about this, many of you, as you're thinking about volunteering or financial giving or relational generosity or neighborly generosity, you have some feelings stirring up in you. Some of them good, maybe many of them bad. But that's the question. What comes to your mind? What comes to your heart when people talk about giving away your time, talents, and resources? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Maybe it's a feeling of being overwhelmed because you don't know where to start. I want to be generous, but I have no clue what to do next. Or maybe it's cynicism. See, he's asking for money again. But clearly the study shows that there are more ways to be generous than just with your money. So I'm not asking for your money necessarily. However, I think it is a part of your obedience to Christ. But I'm not asking for it this morning. What I am asking for is have you affixed Jesus' worldview to your mind and heart so that you can become a generous person, not by compulsion, but by your own volition. Whether you're feel, whatever you're feeling when um, you attempt to imagine your life with more generosity, whatever that feeling is, that's a great temperature test as to how much of Jesus' worldview you currently possess. If when I think about being generous and I go, ugh, you, have, you don't have enough of Jesus' worldview yet. Whereas when I think about generosity, I don't bristle and I'm like, yeah, I need to think about how I can love others well and start to engage people with my time and talents and resources. Then you're starting to put on the lenses that Jesus calls us to live by. This is a great test as to where you're at. Next, you need to evaluate whether generosity is a practice of yours or if it's a one-time act. Repeated behaviors that involve recurrent intention and attention shape true living. The more sporadic and less intentional you are in generosity, the less true life you'll possess. Um, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I knew I was supposed to tithe, you know what I'm saying? I knew I was supposed to, but whatever. It's kind of how I felt. And uh, I, I was convicted by this really great sermon that I heard, and so I, I started to realize that what I was doing was I had great intention, but I wasn't intentional. You know what I'm saying? I had every intention when I got my paycheck on Friday to pull aside some of that money to make sure that I had it to give away to the church. And then Sunday would roll around, and I'd be like, well, you know, but Lord, you know. You know what I'm saying? I need that new Xbox. You know what I'm saying? I was in my early 20s. Don't judge me too hard. And what it took for me was realizing and recognizing that I had every good intention, but I wasn't living intentionally. And I would imagine that this is the vast majority of this room. We love Jesus in here. And we want to love him better. And we want to love him more. Not like you're just showing up here and rolling your eyes. You want more of the Lord's presence. You want to be a better prayer. 
You want to be a more generous person. You want to have more of God's presence in your life. You want to see your prayers answered. You want to see people around you come to know Jesus through your impact and influence in your life. It seems to me that the way to get more of Jesus and the more of true life is to figure out how to give more of yourself. To give regularly financially, to give your time and talents through volunteering. Erica McAdoo would love for you to volunteer with the kids. And again, what comes to your heart when you think about volunteering with the kids? Well, if you're scared, then you don't have Jesus' worldview fully affixed yet. To give your time and emotions to those that are in this church body through relationships that you're building do you know anybody in this church yet? Yeah, they have a responsibility to come meet you, but you also have a responsibility to go shake others' hands. Absolutely, the church should provide a place where there's um, intentional relationships that get formed, but do you have good intentions or are you being intentional? Because if you're not giving of yourself, then you're not gaining and living. You're going to be the same person that you've always been and nothing will grow because the links are clear. It is more blessed to give and to receive. Now it takes trust to live this way because it is a paradox. It doesn't make sense that in giving I gain, but that's exactly what Jesus says. What I may lose in giving I gain in living. It takes trust to view the world this way because it's not it's not that I look out and automatically see blessing and abundance everywhere I go. Sometimes I do see real scarcity. And so it takes faith for me to live the kind of life that can reach into scarcity with my abundance and bless people. That's exactly what Abraham was told. If you can go back to our covenant series. Abraham was told, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. And ultimately through one of your offspring, I will bless all nations of the world. Blessing was never meant to terminate with you. It was always meant, um, you were meant to be like the middleman in God's generosity. It was supposed to come to you, and then you were supposed to send it out to others. It takes trust in God's provision and in his love and in his generosity to possess this kind of life, this truly living sort of life. Next week, we're going to talk about John 3.16. Have you guys heard of that verse? I'm going to wear the purple wig or the rainbow wig. I'm going to put a t-shirt on. Just kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about John 3.16, and maybe this is a great week for you as you're feeling how do I build relationships with somebody? How do I start to invest in somebody in a, in a distinctly Christian way? Maybe next week is a great time to invite somebody to church, especially if they feel comfortable, because they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear about how Jesus is a gift, how grace is a gift of God. Maybe that would be a great week for them to show up. Maybe that would be a great time for you to offer them, hey, we got free coffee in the coffee bar, you know what I'm saying? You can bribe them. It's okay. That's totally fine. Get them here. 
And then the following week, we're going to talk really specifically about how you can begin to incorporate some practical generosity things into your life. So the intent of these first two sermons is just to be persuasive. Because it takes trust to live this way. Because generosity is a paradox. Because when I give, it feels like I lose. But what Jesus tells us and what we have to trust and believe in when he tells us this is that when I give, I live. So this week, before we get super practical, before we break into some other ideas about generosity and giving, I want to start off in prayer. I want to align our hearts and our minds with what Jesus wants for each of us, which is to live a life that is truly life. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and life more abundantly. That word's going to show up over and over and over again, and if you can believe in faith and in trust that the world is an abundant place and that God is a generous host and that you're a part of an awesome party that's called life, then you will also be a generous person. And you will possess the things that we just talked about. Happiness. Health. You'll suffer from less depression. You'll have better friend networks. You'll have more agency in your life. You will find overflowing abundance. Everything will start to look like a blessing. Doesn't that sound awesome? Let's pray to ask God for that. Let's pray to ask God for for more measures of his presence and more measures of his worldview and more understanding that we don't already possess. So this morning, would you bow with me? I'll start us off in prayer and then I'll guide you through some specific things here in a moment. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your generosity. You are a generous host. You've given so much. You've given yourself that we might have life. And not just a regular old life, but a life abundant. But what we need is more of your presence. And what we need is more of the way that you view the world. And what we need is your heart. What we need is to believe the words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so this morning, Father, as we come to you in a moment of honesty... I pray that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to what the Spirit is saying to us, where you're convicting us and where you're moving us. Help us to be obedient in that call. This morning, I'd like for you to pray along these lines. Start off with this. God, help me to identify areas in my life that I'm not practicing generosity. Start off in prayer this way. God, help me to identify areas in my life that I'm not practicing generosity. God, help me to confess, which means to agree. Help me to confess about my attitudes regarding volunteering, giving, and hospitality. Where I don't line up, would you convict me and change me to be 
like you? Would you convict me and change me to be more like you? Spirit challenge me to begin something this week. I don't have to be perfect at this tomorrow, but I do want to be in process. I want to be growing to become more generous. Maybe ask him to begin to change your view of the world, the view of your family, view of your workplace as opportunities for generosity. attention and intention and find purpose and meaning and not just be uh, having good intentions but be intentional in the way that we exercise generosity whether it's through giving financially volunteering our time relational generosity as we give our bandwidth emotions and attention to people or finding ways to be neighborly through expressions of care and love to those who live near us and far Help us to find life that is truly life as we deny ourselves and carry our cross. Father, this only will happen through your power, through the Holy Spirit's conviction. So, Father, I pray for that. I pray that you would change us and you would make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.